Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. And join me there in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to read from verses 1 uh, all the way down to verse, we're going to read all the way to 21. And it says, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as a brother, older women as, a, as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are generally in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents for, the, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petition and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than all unbelievers. Not, no widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she's at least six years old, 60 years old, sorry, 60 years old has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger women, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desires, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They're not only idle, but also gossip and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, and manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away from uh, away to follow sin. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burned so that it can help widows in, general, in genuine need. The others who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading our grain. And the workers is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favorism. 
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word, Father. Thank you because uh, you've given us a word that we can live by, Father, that we can have assurance of who you are and what you're working in our lives, Father. We pray that these words that I speak may not be mine, but yours, Father, and that we may be changed through it. And, Father, we may live a life according to your will that is pleasing to you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. There's one thing that I've learned uh, about social media and people's behavior is that uh, how you act and what you do online, it usually reflects what we lean towards the most. Uh, I can open your social media page on Facebook or even YouTube, and, and I can tell a lot about your preferences, about some of the things that you favor over other things. I will be able to tell if you lean more towards being a Republican or more towards being a Democrat because of the videos you watch, uh, because of the algorithm that YouTube uses to kind of continue to shove those videos so in your homepage so you can continue to watch them. I can tell the type of things you like and prefer to buy based on those ads that continue to come up on your Facebook page because, of course, it's reading everything you're doing and, therefore, trying to push this advertisement onto you. The same thing I will be able to do if I will go to your house and take a look around. I will be able to tell what kind of diet you prefer by opening up your fridge and looking at the food you buy. I can open up your pantry and see what else is there. I can tell what kind of decorations you prefer because that is what you buy and that is what you hang up on your walls. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. What I'm saying is that all humans tend to make decisions that lean more towards the things they prefer and the things they favor. We pick and choose things based on what we think is best and makes us feel better. We see this play out in everyday part of our lives from something as simple as media who are supposed to be biased and not favor certain things. We know that nowadays they, that's what they do. They, they're more uh, lean towards one way or another. Even in our own families, because whether we want to admit it or not, we prefer to sometimes hang out with one kid more than another. Or maybe another person in our family we prefer than the other. It's unavoidable. We all have preferences. We all favor certain things over others. The thing about that is that if we are not careful, we have to be very careful with the, way the, with the way that we prefer things because it does affect the way we live our lives. The things that we prefer, the things that we lean towards to affect how we do things, what we say, and how we approach situations. It even affects how we approach people in the church. And what happens is that we tend to then create groups, specific groups that we identify with the most in the church, and we lean towards just being around there and supporting those type of people and the other ones kind of neglecting. So to avoid falling into judgment because of how we approach people in the church, Paul tells Timothy how a specific group, uh, how we should treat specific groups of people in the church. And I know many will say, well, if 
they were really good believers. If they truly loved God, if they truly had to change their heart, they, will, they wouldn't need to be told how to treat people because it's clear the Bible is that we treat all with respect. But for Paul, it doesn't seem like the people that he's writing to know any better. So he proceeds to give them instructions through Timothy. Now again, he's directing his attention to Timothy. He's writing to Timothy and some of the leaders of the church. But because it involves the church, this message is for everyone. So the first thing that Paul tells Timothy is, right there in verses 1 through 1 and 2, says, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger man as a brother, older woman as a mother, and younger, uh, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. To start, what does Paul mean by not rebuking? Are we not supposed to rebuke those who are wrong? Right, the same chapter, verse 20, Paul says, publicly rebuke those who sin. So, do you rebuke or do you not rebuke? Is Paul contradicting himself? And he's not. The original word here in this verse for rebuke is not the same as the other word in original language. It doesn't mean the same thing. Uh, it's translated using the same word, but it does have uh, a different meaning. And this is the only place actually where you find this term. Uh, and this term literally means to strike at. So the rebuke that we're looking at here is a translation to strike at somebody. Basically, Timothy was told not to lash out, not to go after and hurt those who he is confronting. When you are to rebuke someone, you do not go purposely to go hurt them, either physically, even though he's not talking about physically, he's talking about emotionally, but we do not take that approach. So rather than being harsh on someone in the church, he says, treat the older man like if he was your father. So if you love your dad, how would you speak and approach your dad? You think about it. You know, ignore those bad days. Focus on the overall general treatment towards your father. A good father, of course, because we know that sometimes it's hard to imagine that when a father is wrong. But imagine a good father figure. How would you approach your father? You approach him in humbleness with respect and love, right? More specifically, Paul says to exhort him as a father, meaning that we should encourage and help him to do what it is need to be done. Encourage and help him to do what is right. That's how we approach an older man in the church, like he was our father. The same for younger men. It says, treat them like your brother. So if you're going to approach a younger man, if you're going to rebuke a younger man, you do it like if he was your brother. Then he says, an older woman, treat them like your mother. And which is with respect and honor because of their age. The church has to be able to accept and appreciate 
some amount of mothering from someone of the older women in the church. And it's proper to give them honor as such. It is a blessing to be in a church where there are older women who can provide that, not only that, that uh, the, the wisdom that they can, but the love that they are able to give. So you treat them with respect and honor. And then you younger women, like your sister. Now, as to younger women, Paul additionally commends the leaders that they be above all suspicions of having any sexual relationship with them. Not only to respect them like your sister, but not be caught in a situation where you are seen as if, because they are younger, you're seen as if you were doing something that you shouldn't be with them. A few weeks I was reading an article and, and watching an actual phone recording of a pastor being rebuked by a woman specifically. And he was forced to step down because he was sexually abusing one of his young church girls when, he was, when she was really young. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he refers to a young woman. Not only do you treat him with respect uh, uh, and you do not harshly rebuke him, but you stay away from this exactly what he's talking about. It's okay to have him as friends, but it's a friendship to center in ministry. Paul wants the leaders to never take advantage of their precision and, comprom and compromise the name of of Christ by putting themselves in a situation that they shouldn't be with a younger woman in the church. Overall, the call is to be is not to be condescending, rather be equally respectful to all in the church, no matter what generation they're in, and everyone included in the church. Now, Paul goes on, and he's a little bit more detailed than this one, and I think this one probably benefit us a lot more now, especially with what happened this week, right? It says support the widows, right? First Timothy verse five, verse uh, chapter five, verse three. Support widows who are generally in need. And like I said, Paul's gonna go very in specific in details on how we should treat the widows of the church. Because it seems like there may have been some kind of abuse when it comes to this matter. So he wanted to make sure that as the church, we are modeling the compassion that Christ showed for the powerless while also not being taken advantage of. And to make sure we're clear, Paul is talking about financial, material support, and care for the widows. But not just any widow. Not all widows qualify for this kind of support. Paul says those who are really in need. In other words, a widow that is in the full sense a widow. Someone who, a widow, a woman who absolutely has no one to go to for support. Paul defines the widow. He goes on to describe what it means to be a full widow who is really in need or not in need. He says, True need starts with not having a family that is still able to provide the support. 
says that there is no obligation to support a woman if the family is still living. Especially if they have kids or grandkids. So Paul's definition of a widow is someone who didn't have a family. No kids, no grandkids, didn't have anyone to go to for support. So therefore, the church steps in. So what Paul says is that it's not just the responsibility of a parent to give care. If needed, like in this case, children and grandchildren have the opportunity and, rep and responsibility to give back time, love, and material support. That is what they're responsible for. We think, oh, because all of a sudden, you know, my mom is old. I, I have a family as well. I no longer need to support my parents or my mom after my dad passes away. That is her problem. I'm moving. I'm living my life. No, we is the opposite. They took care of us when we were kids. Now, as we are growing up and they are now older, it is our responsibility to take care of them. So the kids should grow up with an expectation that it is a privilege and a duty to help their widowed family member. Not just to leave them there in some kind of social welfare program. And this is pleasing to God. And this is part of who we are as believers. Now he continues to break it down and focus on the spiritual state of the worthiness of the type of widow the church should support. He says, support those who are really alone, who lack the resources, but they have set their hope in God. Look at verse 5. The widow who truly, is, who truly is truly in need and left alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petition and prayers. The worthy wither as a woman was a woman who did not have anything to fall back onto, but knew that God is her provider. And because she's praying day and night, asking for help. That is the woman who is after God's heart. A widow who has nothing, no family left, but knows that God is the provider. And Paul says the church is God's answer for that prayer. The church is by the means which those prayers are going to be answered. God uses the church as the answer and as the means to many things. And when it comes to helping the widows, the limited resources that the church does have to help the widows must be used on someone who reflects God's word. Whatever resources the church has ready to help, it must be on someone who has their heart set on God. Now, on the other hand, the unworthy woman is the complete opposite. Verse 6, however, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. The church should not provide support for a widow who lives after her own selfish desires, who lives after her own pleasures. That is not a widow that deserves any support financially, spiritually, 
caregiving. Because why? She's just after her own needs. She ain't serving the church. She ain't serving God. She's serving herself. And if we help somewhere like this, what we're saying is, yeah, you're fine to live the way you are. I'm going to help you even though you're sinning against God. I'm still going to give you support so you can continue to sin against God. You're agreeing with that lifestyle. Then Paul says he defines a qualification to be added to the list of supporters. Because apparently during that time there was a list of, uh, a list of widows that this church was supporting. And Paul continues to expand on the requirement. He says to be on the list you have to be at least, you have to be uh, over the age of 60. And this was the age that they would consider the age of retirement. Uh, for them, uh, along with the fact that this is the age where there was a pretty low chance that you were going to get remarried. Uh, you're 60, no one's really looking to get married at that time, so therefore you're not really going to find someone who's going to support you the way they need to, so therefore you qualify. She also had to be, uh, have been faithful to her husband while she was alive. Again, she was married at one point, and that husband she had she, she was faithful to him. She didn't cheat on him. She didn't uh, do any of that, right? You have to be, have been faithful. She has also had to be known for her good deeds. And that includes a woman uh, raising kids, help lifting those who are down, being welcoming, and even doing the work that was left of the slaves, which was the washing of the, of the feet of the saints. So you had to be known for being a servant of the church, of God's people. Of God in specific. Now, Paul goes on. He specifically points out the younger widows. And he says, now because of the stage that you're in, because you're young still, to avoid being put in a sinful situation or to make matters more difficult for the church and themselves, Paul says not to put them in the list at all. He says the younger widows, don't put them in the list of support. And this is because of multiple reasons. First, they may commit, they may commit to the church in a way that they won't be able to follow through because later on they decided to find a man and get married. Now, all of a sudden, they're putting themselves in a situation where they have to no longer be able to uh, fulfill that what they committed to. And therefore, if you said to the church, I am committing myself to something, and then you don't do it, that is sinful. Remember the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if you say something, you do it. So, so you won't catch yourself or catch them in a situation where they have to back away from their promise. Don't put them in the list at all. Because if you are in the list, meaning you are serving the church, you are doing certain things that are required of you. So, so you won't be put in a situation. Don't put them in the list. Now the reason is because while they're getting the help, they just stand idle doing nothing and causing issues. You're getting the support. You're getting what you need. Therefore, you have to try nothing. You don't have to work for it or anything. 
So you have way too much time on your hand, and even for us, we know that causes a lot of problems when you have nothing to do. So don't put them on the list. Then he says, what they should be doing is getting remarried. That's what the younger widow should be doing, looking to get remarried. Now, Paul's not saying just pick a random guy and get married. The first single that comes in through the door, all right, this is it. No, not saying that. But he's saying to make a godly decision as to whom you're marrying and, and how are you going to raise your kids and how are you going to manage your home, you're going to have to make the right decision, pray and read and understand what is God's calling you to find as a man and find one and get married. Because it's about living a godly life. Doing something God has blessed. He wants you to be married. He's calling for you to be married. And in doing so, she would avoid any issues that would cause others to bring accusations to herself or the church. I know Paul seems like not being fair. Why do you mean we support some and not others? But this was to make sure that whoever they supported was really in need and that the resources that they have to support was not being put to waste. It wasn't about a fairness. It wasn't about, it was about using what you have been given to the best that you can possibly do. That's why there were qualifications and, and restrictions. That's why. Now lastly, finally, Paul directs his attention to the treatment of the elders in the church. An elder here is referring to those who are in leadership. Those who are over the church. And they are fully dedicated to it. And everything that the church does. Those who rule and or teach. And even more important, those who do this well. And here's what he says in verse 17. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's tre treading out grain. And the workers is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. So first, those who fall in this category of elders deserve double honor. And it's hard to really determine exactly what he's meaning by this, by the, you know, the phrase double honor. But most of the scholars already lean. And when I say most, I haven't read one that hasn't. Uh, they lean towards just receiving, uh, just not receiving minimal rec uh, recognition. He's talking about receiving the pay, the respect, the value that that leader deserves. No matter what age, no matter how big or small the church is, he's talking about they deserve that. They deserve the double, the double honor. And I know many are not fans of this. But if the needed should be supported, those who lead during the work here on earth deserve double honor. 
Paul even supports his idea with an Old Testament verse found in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 25, verse 4. The leaders labor day and night to lead the church. They work hard. They put the effort into it. And if you take the support away from those who God has placed to lead you, what is that saying about the church? It's saying that they don't care. Doesn't matter what where I'm just going to. Doesn't matter. I don't care where my resources come from. I'm just going to find it somewhere. For God has created a structure for the church. We should honor that, respect that, and follow that. Along with supporting it. Second, those who fall in this category should be given the benefit of a doubt. In other words, a leader should be innocent until proven guilty. This includes not just accepting and believing all accusations that come. And it's easy for an elder to fall under an unfair criticism or gossip allegations. Everyone can do it better. Right? Everyone else can do it better. So what happens? It's so easy to be, oh, you know, this pastor, this teacher, or this uh, leader, or this worship leader doesn't know how to do certain things, and he's, he's not really good. I can do it better. So you could start creating those little uh, gossips, those, those accusations of, oh, you know, I saw him talking to somebody, and, you know, it's so easy to fall into that. But before we believe or accept anything said against a leader, the accusation must be brought up by two or three witnesses. Imagine, we know how fast words can travel, right? Imagine the damage one can cause when they spread false accusations and we just take the word of it without any need of evidence or anything. So Paul is saying, first make sure the proper personnel and evidence is brought to the table before any accusation is believed or accepted. And then if, if, they, if they are accused of something and then they are found guilty of it, they continue to live in that sin, then Paul says that they should be rebuked in public. I would add that depending on the type of sin, I get authorities involved because not every sin needs to be worked internally. There are some things that they need to be brought to the attention of the authority. Maybe some jail time or something. You know, we all got to pay, uh, pay what is due. We've heard many stories of church leaders covering up for each other, right? We know that. There's tons of it where big mega churches don't want to be caught in the spotlight, so they will try to work things out within themselves, and what they end up doing, just covering for the faults of another leader, Paul is asking that we must do what we must do for the purpose of producing repentance and making sure everyone is aware of what's happening. It's not about just getting people arrested. It's about bringing some kind of conviction in them and having them go through the process of being repentant and changing from who they are. Now, why is this so important? I mean, you're probably thinking this should probably just be some kind of you know, lecture for, 
or a leadership meeting or something like that, right? It's important because how we treat others has an impact on other people's life. Even more, how we treat others will affect those generations that come after. You know, most people don't know their great-grandfather's name. If you know what they, that he looked like or, or how he made a living, unless someone in the family is willing to search and create some kind of family tree, many of the relationships in the past are lost. They become unknown to those who were born after. Because we're so eager to disconnect from family and then branch out on our own that we lose fragments of those who came before us. We lose experience and values that they may share as the years pass. Then as years pass, the less we know how we got to where we are. Now, this may not be a good thing because we should desire that our future generation learns and grows from our mistakes from our experiences, right? But at the same time, there are others who don't rush to separate from their older generations and their actions and words and wisdom they carry over. And then some generations and some people don't disconnect from those bad things, from the bad behaviors, from the bad approaches. And he carries on with them. My point is that a family will, will function better when it absorbs from the past. But in order to function properly, that which is absorbed needs to exhibit certain qualities. You can't just absorb only the bad things because that's not going to create nothing good in the future. But to create a good future, you need to absorb the good things, but there needs to be good things to absorb. And since we have all been redeemed and adopted as sons and daughters, it means that the church, those who truly confess Christ as Lord, we are a family. Because we have all been adopted into Christ's family. So that means that for the church to function at its best for now and the future generations, the church also needs to exhibit specific qualities as well. Some of the qualities that come up to my mind as we look through these verses, first, we, we must have respect and love for members. We treat each other with the same respect that we will give to our family. We are never to ignore each other's sins, we should bring it to each other. We should bring it to the attention. We should work through it. But when we rebuke, we do it with love and respect. <clears throat> I'm not saying that we may not need to flip a few tables here and there. I'm not saying that there are not, never going to be a time to be strong or direct. But even when we do it, we do it with the same approach, with respect and love. 
A love that will lead to repentance and edification. See, we're too eager to correct each other by all means necessary with the excuse that, well, if they don't like it, if they're offended, if they're mad at me, well, hey, that's the truth. Don't get mad at me, get mad at God. But we have to remember that our approach may sometimes do more, more harm than good. And there are those who will be hurt by our lack of compassion. And they're going to be affected by it. They may even go and influence others because of it. Many young men and women nowadays reject Christianity because of everything evil that the church has done in the past. The things they have said, how they have said it. And yeah, I know that's not a good reason to reject Christ. You don't reject Christ because of what somebody else did. He wasn't the one that did it. Jesus wasn't the one that said it wrong or did something wrong. So you don't reject Christ because of it. But bottom line is the church who have never done those evil things. Through all generations, after this letter, the church should have always been respectful to each other. Just because we're not perfect doesn't give us license to be disrespectful. Second thing, second point, we must respond with giving Compassion and sacrifice. When someone is in real need, we are called to act. We are called to support, help, and lift each other. This is the body of believers that we walk in this temporary and difficult home with. So we help each other. This is where God has placed us. So we help each other. But we must also understand that we should do so when there is real need. Right? Because we think we always need to be helped. Sometimes there is no real need. You can take care of it. Many people have said, well, you know, I don't get this. Oh, I don't get. You know, no one, no one does. No one. Do you really need it? No, but so then why are you asking for it? We need to be out helping those who are in real need. On top of that, there are countless of stories of pastors who have gotten phone calls from strangers who just call out of the blue to the church because of some kind of assistance. They, they need some kind of help. I myself, very, very early into pastoring, found myself getting a call from a woman, complete stranger, calling from a hotel because uh, she was left with nothing. They took everything from her. Family, kids, husband, everyone left. She was by herself. She had nothing. And I can't tell you how hard it is to deal with these kind of situations in a way that's loving and at the same time not getting ripped off by it. But when I dealt with specifically admitted 
that she had been calling all the churches in the areas to see if anyone will help her get back on her feet. After she was left alone without any husband or any children. And none of them were wanting to help. She was telling them all the same sad story. We ended up helping. When we asked her to follow up. And we even provided connections so she can get back to work. We got nothing in return. Then we accidentally received a call about a month and a half later asking for help without realizing that she already called me. I go, do you remember I just spoke to you and we had a conversation and I, we gave you help? And we even told you to call this number that you're going to get more help. Did you? No, I'm just looking for help. No, you really are not in need. We must be giving, we must have compassion, and we must sacrifice, but for those who are in need. The church will help those who are in need, but only those who are truly fitting of support the way that Paul has laid it out for us. I'm not saying we shouldn't be loving. We need to keep it in context. But if you are in need, we're here to help. Which brings me to my third point. We must be able to set clear parameters, expectations, guidelines, and instructions. God is a God of order, and therefore we work in order. And God has clearly communicated through the Word to us. And we too should communicate with each other clearly. We should set the expectations. We should know what is expected of each one of us. This is not a free-for-all. Fourth, we must also support those who lead, who lead us and teach us, whether it's financially, spiritually, or physically. We know God has brought us here, and He will keep us here as long as He wants, and He will provide the means. But one of the means that God provides is those in the body who will support the truth and support how they're being led so they can continue. To have the opportunity and give the same opportunities to others. It is our responsibility as well to support those who are leading us. I'm not sure if you know who Todd Frio is. Uh, he's a Christ Christian radio host. Uh, used to be a comedian. Now he's, he hosts a Christian podcast. He was asked what his favorite pastor was. And Todd Frio is very close to some of the biggest names in ministry. Talking about all the ones that we have conversation about. He knows every single one of them. Direct phone number and he has conversations and talks to them all the time. But his response with his favorite pastor is my pastor. Which so happened to be none of those big names. There are many great leaders in many different bodies of churches 
But we need to support the leaders that we have been given in our local church body. Because that's where God placed you. If God placed you with John MacArthur, then you support John MacArthur. If God placed you with this leader, then you support that leader. Wherever God placed you, that's where he wants you to be. And that's where he wants you to support. And lastly, we must not just believe everything you hear. Seek evidence. Seek the truth. And avoid hurting people because you did not have all the facts. Get the facts. Get the truth. And when you do, do what is right. Rebuke. Like we have been called to rebuke. Rebuke without having fears of what comes after. Your church may all of a sudden get a bad reputation, but you did the right thing. You called out the leader who was clearly in sinful behaviors. If it's right, if it's true, there's nothing to fear. If you're scared, it's probably because you don't have all the facts. So get the facts. And then you don't have nothing to worry about. Just bring it to light. Now, I'm going to finish with this one analogy. It says that in the dark inner world of our bodies, there's a billions, there are billions of small gobblers, gobblers crowded together, quivering like jellyfishes. Each one is a cell capable of getting by on its own within the limits of its environment. These cells pulse and throb, push and bump, carrying out the jobs with common purpose, the health of the body. There are times, however, when cells become renegades. Somewhere quietly a breakdown occurs, a cell produces beyond its borders and assumes control of an area which, is, which it was not designed to. It exceeds its function and its purpose. Then instead of contributing to the well-being, it becomes our enemy. Such cancer compresses, pushes, shoves, and displaces blood cells. If left unchecked, these ambitious, these ambitious cells can bring death, destroying the parent organism, which is us, and committing biological suicide. And just like these cells, we need to be kept in check, which is what, why Paul wrote this. Because if we are left alone, we will destroy the church. We may have many ideas of how things should be done. Or we may lean towards specific things more than others. We may feel certain people may need more respect or more attention than others. But God is the creator. This is his world and all things in it. And his purpose is greater than ours. And our responsibilities are revealed in this letter. And we must do it according to his word. Because God has a will. God has a purpose. And everything is going to wrap back to his glory. And we ought to treat people the way we are called to treat people. We are to respect those who he called us to respect. We are to honor those who he calls to honor. The church, pray with me.
Father in heaven, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for, for everything that you have revealed to us, Father. Father, we pray that these words may change our hearts, Lord, that we may be able to see those as you called us to see and be able to live the life that you called us to live. Father, thank you for everything you've done. And in your name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be greeted. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church.